This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Thank you for being here. Great to have you as always. Oh my, interesting stuff going on in the news. Uh, Pompeo down on Capitol Hill, I think that's still ongoing. It was when I had to switch off my uh, tv or rather my laptop posing as a tv no cable over here it's how we roll i know the more you tell me not to say a team by the way the more i like saying it uh there is this continued discussion that's happening about the trump dossier and the trump dossier is bunk it is nonsense it is crap and yet you'll see that they still use this as a means of jumping off into any number of stories. Now it's, the media had been lecturing us for weeks on fake news. The Trump dossier is, that is a that is fake news. I mean, to base a story or to release a news story on completely unsubstantiated fact, I don't think it, I mean, yeah, it can get more fake than that, fine. I'm not going to overstate it, but that's pretty fake. That's pretty fake. A lot of people now pretending that they don't know the difference between uh, rumor mongering and scandal chasing and reporting. And you'll see that CNN was reporting fingers at BuzzFeed saying, oh, we just reported we just reported that there was an addendum in the official classified briefing given to Trump that talked about this. These allegations, we weren't reporting the actual details of the allegations. First of all, clearly there are people who are leaking, and I think it's most likely it's coming from within the, the Senate. Uh, it could be coming from the Obama White House, by the way, because Obama also knows what the he's still the president and he knows what they're telling Donald Trump. So this is dirty pool. Let's be very clear about that. There, there are people who are explicitly violating their duties and perhaps, well, not in this case violating the law because they didn't disclose any classified, but they are acting in an unethical and unprofessional manner by letting the world know what is contained in a classified Trump briefing. And and I would say that there are many, and I, well, they will never get on the phone because they still work in the CIA and some of them can't even really talk to me anymore. But if I got some of my old colleagues from the agency on the air, they would tell you that even just broad stroke subject matter that is given to the president by the briefer each day. The DNI now is the coordinating point. It used to be the CIA really ran that briefing, but now the DNI brings it in from all across the community. Just knowing what's in that dossier, not in that dossier, just knowing what's in that um, briefing book 
could be considered classified under certain circumstances. Depends on what it is. So people shouldn't be talking about this, and they are. So let's start there. Uh, this is, did you see this sort of thing happening when Barack Obama was coming into office? Was anyone, was anyone leaking the contents of the PDB or the general overview of what was contained in the PDB when Barack Obama was going to be president? The answer is, of course, no. So this is an, adm an administration in waiting that is under siege right now. That's the truth. And CNN saying, oh, we just reported that we just reported on the report. Well, at some point, that's unethical as a journalist. At some point, that's problematic in and of itself. And I think CNN crossed over into it. it it's an org go down the line. Do you think Jake Tapper's pro or anti-Trump? Do you think Anderson Cooper's pro or anti-Trump? Do you think Wolf Blitzer is pro or anti-Trump? Well, with him, maybe it's a little bit more up in the air, but I'm pretty sure he's anti. You think Aaron Burnett is pro or anti-Trump? Don Lemon pro? I mean, go down the line of every anchor on their air and then understand that the producers are working with them as well, and the producers are, many of them, graduates of you know, Columbia Journalism School, which is just a leftist factory. They hate Trump. When I say they, it's the media more uh, more broadly, but also as somebody who spent time inside CNN during the election, I can tell you not enough time because harder to box me into a corner than some of the others. As a side note, by the way, I think it's worth pointing out that they really enjoyed. There was a certain glee that CNN and, and some of the other anti-Trump networks had in putting these guys on TV. Like, hey, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah, Trump said this. He said that. Whatever. This what he, he says. What he says. They thought that that was doing irreparable damage to Trump. So you have to understand they were getting good ratings from it, and it played into their prejudices against the Trump administration supporters and just the administration in general, or the campaign, I should say, when it was still trying to beat Hillary Clinton. So they're putting guys on TV who are kind of, hey, these guys and those guys and, you know, a part of the Trump campaign. And they weren't doing that because they were trying to give the Trump team a fair shake. They were doing it mostly because they thought, look at these clowns. They, we're just going to keep putting them on TV. We'll just throw battering rams at them with different panels, and we'll, we'll have our anchors trip them up, and it'll be great theater. Hey, from a business perspective, tip my hat to them. Their ratings are way up, for, for were way up for the year. I'm sure they're still up now. But there was also a political aspect to it, and we shouldn't forget that. There's a political aspect at work on every show, on every network. We're not children. We know this. Let's not pretend. I, I uh, just roundly reject the notion of, quote, objective journalism. Facts are objective. Journalists are not. Okay, back to the main thread here. So they report on the addendum to the PDB given to Trump or whatever it is, the background briefing, the deep dive. I don't, I'm not even sure what they call it. Uh, a little insider baseball for you. They change the names of the different versions of memos inside the intelligence community all the time, and I don't, I don't even know what they're called anymore. I'm, I'm an anachronism in that sense. I'd be like, yeah, why don't we get that thing going, the schmurgermurger burger that we used to give to the top head of the whatever agency that now probably has been subsumed into another organization so it all changes all the time 
But now you'll see that, okay, it's out there. And BuzzFeed had this completely disingenuous interview. Do we have some of the BuzzFeed audio with uh, Chuck Todd, by the way? If we don't, we should pull a little bit of that. Uh, I should have sent that last night do- during my deep dive. Yeah, let's let's get some. We'll, we'll play it later on just so we can sort of get a, t- a taste of that exchange. And the BuzzFeed line on this is, well, people were talking about it, so... Keep in mind that people were talking about it, so we felt like we could share it. Keep in mind that there are documentaries out there. I don't know if you see it. There's at least one documentary that I know of where they talk about Barack Obama's father isn't really his father. His father was a, a, a communist, uh, an African-American communist, and, and there's a, a very elaborate theory around it, and there's a whole documentary about it. I don't think that CNN and NBC News and all that – we're running with that one. Hey, just just putting this out there, guys. But there's this really elaborate theory that I think the guy's name is Frank Marshall Davis is Barack Obama's father or not. You, you can Google that. There's all kinds of stuff out there. I don't think they were running with that one. That was out. I mean, a whole documentary made it, not just a couple of pieces of paper that some ex-spy pulled together without any vetting or anything of any kind. Spies get crap information constantly, constantly. People make up stories to tell spies all over the world, whether they're working for a government or the private sector. This is one of the hardest aspects of the entire trade craft that you have to apply to your work as a spy, although we don't like to be called spies, really. They prefer to be called officers of the agency for which they work. So you don't say, oh, I was a spy. Uh, or you know, they say I was a former CIA officer or former NSA officer, whatever the case may be. Uh, spies or and, and agents are also, it's not a CIA. Anyone who says I was a CIA agent, not telling you. Well, I should say anybody who worked for the CIA as a staff employee who says they're a CIA agent doesn't know what they're talking about. That's not how, this is a big tell. This was like when somebody on the street came up to me and was telling me he wanted money and he said he served and he served for the military in Afghanistan. And I sat down. I wanted to have a talk with him. I said, wow, tell me what's going on. You're down in your luck. What's happening? He said, oh, I served in Afghanistan. I said, where'd you serve? I don't know, Afghanistan. What unit were you in? Do you have a card from the VA? Can you show me anything at all? No. Generally speaking... I think it's fair to say that somebody would remember their unit and where they served in the military. Uh, So that was pretty much how that conversation went. And same thing with people that claim to be in the intelligence community. I can always I can usually tell when they're, first of all, inflating or exaggerating what they did based upon the kind of words they use. There's a lot of that that goes on. And also when someone is just making it up. Oh, I was I was a, a deep cover CIA agent. It's like, what? Please. Uh, but back to this report, this dossier, it's fun to call it that, the dossier probably gives it more authenticity than it deserves. There's all these stories now. See, this is this is the, the gosh, I'm stumbling more than Obama at the beginning of his farewell address. I don't know if you heard that. It was he was having a tough time. Uh, they now run stories about the story. So even though the story is nonsense, they're saying, well, this British, this British uh, former. What is the former MI6 guy, I believe, uh, that they're naming here uh, is supposed to be, this is according to the Guardian, UK newspaper, ex-MI6 officer Christopher Steele is the 
author, the compiler of this anti-Trump dossier. And now they're running all these additional stories, too, for context, but it's really to keep this alive. See, they've created this spark in the minds of the public based on a falsehood, and now they can take the digital bellows of links and retweets and everything else to to further the flames here, to, to make them grow, to expand them. And they do that by writing stories on actual honey trap operations. Honey trap or honey pot operation is using sex to get somebody to either betray their country or give you information they shouldn't give or uh, just get you in a compromising situation like the videotaping of the prostitutes that was alleged in that uh, in that dossier. And this is something the Soviets have done for a long time. And it's something that other intelligence services around the world do. It, it is a very effective tactic. Uh, the, the Israelis have famously employed uh, some similar-ish tactics in the past. It, it is very effective. So that's something to keep in mind. It's still going on. right? It's still a situation where uh, you have the Russians that they didn't change their methods of operation just because the Soviet Union fell. They have training. They have institutions with legacies that continue on well beyond the fall of the wall. And so, sure, there are honeypot operations that are going on. But when you start to dig a little deeper here, first of all, the Trump dossier yesterday said that there was no um, that he really had no financial vested financial interest in Russia. So that's a huge swing and a miss. The Michael Cohen meeting in Prague was, and it's good that there were details like that in there because it was easy to disprove right away. That didn't happen. And then you get into the video of Trump doing the stuff that we talked about yesterday, and I won't get into those specifics because we talked about it yesterday and it's gross. It just didn't add up. Really? That's what Trump's going to do? He's not an idiot. I know the media likes to think sometimes that they think every Republican isn't. I mean, they, or I guess maybe they let Mitt Romney slide on that one. Mitt Romney's a little too Brahmin uh, blue blood for them to start saying that he's a complete moron. But they really do think that Republicans are dumb. Uh, Trump would say what you will about the guy to do the things that they were saying in the dossier. I just no way. This is a guy who's been in the public eye. For as long as I longer than I've been alive, he he, can, he obviously has a what's the word um, has an appetite for ladies, but he's able to he's been married three times and he's dated all kinds of supermodels and everything else. He's not doing this anyway. See, I'm getting too deep into it now too. It doesn't really matter, and this is what ends up happening by refuting. The nonsense you get pulled into the nonsense uh, but i all right i want to get into this some more because uh, there's updates on it and also you got obama saying that he may commute chelsea manning's sentence you can change your name you can't change your gender uh, you will commute chelsea manning's sentence uh, you've got hostage video from uh, an american purported hostage video from the afghan taliban of an american and i believe also an australian that's been released there's a lot of stuff pompeo down on capitol hill getting grilled Got a lot of show, team. Be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. (laughs) 
Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show online on the Blaze Radio Network. So Rosie O'Donnell's still a person who says things that people sometimes pay attention to, I guess. And she tweeted out in all caps from her verified Twitter account. I fully support imposing martial law, delaying the inauguration until Trump is, quote, cleared of all charges. I read. I thought to myself, she was a comedian at one point. From what I understand, she did very well. She made a lot of money, uh, which is a shock to me. I just Trump and Trump and is this a joke? Is she trolling? I think she must be trolling. Then again, I see there's a lot of serious response to the internet. But that's the bizarro funhouse mirror America in which we find ourselves right now. I can't even tell all the time if it's a joke. And I love the jokes. I love the funny stuff. I fully support imposing martial law. Can you tell me if a celebrity writing in all caps that they support the imposition of martial law and the stopping the peaceful transition of power? Are, are we, could we think that's a joke? or Do you know? I don't think you can know. I think a lot of them believe this. A lot of them do. Look, BuzzFeed's about to get little... Uh, clickbait pantsuit and there's a lot of people who are making very foolish decisions because of their hatred or fear or both of the Trump administration and celebrities have just taken this thing to DEFCON 1 of course funny to use that because none of them know what DEFCON 1 means or is Um, and it sounds military so it's probably some scary Halliburton conspiracy right But, yeah, you got these people out there who are pushing this stuff, and it's tough to know when when they think they've gone too far. Uh, Just to to finish a a thread here that I was hitting in the last segment, raw intelligence is not intelligence. Raw intelligence collection, and this is now, I'm going back into my CIA playbook here. And I went through all the different agency training, not just the cool stuff with the bang, bang and the driving fast. I did that, too. What's up? But lots of time in classrooms, ethics, legal stuff, all that. Tradecraft as well. The tradecraft of a spy is not karate chops and uh, dead drops, although, well, maybe dead drops, but uh, it's not karate chops and laser watches. Uh, The tradecraft of a modern spy involves much of the same skill set as a journalist, as I've said to you. It's one of the reasons why the transition from spy to journalist is one of the easiest career transitions you can make as long as you can separate in your head the classified from the not. And what I, what I see here is that there's been this forgetfulness that sprung up all of a sudden that you know the FBI does background checks on people, 
that involve all kinds of, you know, your ex-girlfriend, your ex-wife and husband, your neighbor who hates you and thinks you make too much noise, and they trash people in those things. Imagine if the FBI released the raw files, which at one point were strangely out in the open in the Clinton White House under Bill Clinton, but that's a story for another time. Imagine if they released the raw FBI files on every U.S. official. There would be people who are trying to tell you that Mitt Romney or Mike Pence or Jeff Sessions, you know, is, is, is always rocking out with like a big blunt and hanging out with prostitutes. And you know, there would be people that make up crazy lies about individuals. And that then would be aired. Is that journalism to just sort of put this stuff out there? You know, is it journalism to say to somebody, when did you stop beating your wife? Mark Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. So there was this exchange with BuzzFeed editor-in-chief Ben Smith and Chuck Todd of MSNBC and NBC where he pushed a little bit. I would have pushed a lot harder, by the way. This was a bit of a, this was a, a friendly jostling, you could say. This was a little bit of just sort of tapping the cage, not really rattling it of the BuzzFeed editor-in-chief. So you publish unsubstantiated information. You publish just rumor. This whole notion that I'm seeing now forwarded all over the place that because this individual who brought this together, who's paid on the private side by Republicans first in the oppo uh, for oppo research, opposition research, and then Democrats took it. And it, it should be noted, if Hillary Clinton thought this stuff or her campaign thought this stuff was true, don't you think they would have been screaming it from the rooftops? Remember the whole grab her by the situation? The media held that until the very end when it would have maximum impact. But they know that releasing false information would be self-defeating, so they wouldn't do that. It's not because they're not willing to go there. It's because they know it wouldn't help them. So this is all quite clear. This is, there's not a lot of gray area here, whether BuzzFeed wants to pretend there was or not. New York Times passed. Do you think the New York Times had passed an opportunity to, to nail Trump? Now, because BuzzFeed was first through the breach on this, a lot of others are following saying, look what BuzzFeed said, look what BuzzFeed said. We're not reporting on it. Intelligence officers come across crap information all the time. I came across, I would come across information when I was inside the CIA that was amusing to read because it was so wildly false. But you have people who are walk-ins who will sit down, you know, with the FBI somewhere and they'll say, you know, aliens landed in my yard and they had Abu Musab al-Zarqawi and Hitler and we had tea and they wanted me to go be a suicide bomber. And this stuff does happen. Now, just because someone says it, it doesn't mean that then I could take that report, let's say, if my FBI colleagues or someone shared it with me, and run up to the seventh floor landing and be like, guys, there's this plot with Hitler and Zarqawi and, and Rosie O'Donnell, and they're all together, and the aliens, and no, they would, the agency would make me have a sit down with some doctors and 
have a talk about the future of my clearance. I mean, that's but there's crazy stuff out there and you have to be able to differentiate between the crazy and the nonsense. Now, people would say, Buck, this is an aliens landing. Look at the way Trump treats women. I, I understand that that's where the argument would now go. But there's no verification of any of this. And there's there's red flags in that there's false information in it. And nobody even took the time to do a few Google searches or to check at all on any of it. And if we're now in a place where the media can publish completely unsubstantiated information. I When I write an op-ed for CNN, or anywhere for that matter, but recently I've done it a few times for CNN, you know, they'll they'll say, oh, well, you know, do you have a do you have a source for this? Do you have a source for that? And I'm saying, I, do, I, do, I, do I need a source for Obama's divisive? I think that's just my opinion, man. But they're constantly trying to make sure they cover themselves for, for legal reasons from being out there and saying things that, would be problematic constantly but buzzfeed goes out there with this it's because they hate trump that's it and they figured that this was a way to this is going to overshadow at least for the next few days anything going on with the inauguration Uh, i do think it benefits trump but it's not something that the media was expecting i just think that they have lost objectivity some of them i think that BuzzFeed got uh, its head got a little fuzzy. There were some fur balls there from all the cat videos, and they went with this. And now they're going to pay pay the consequences. I don't know if it'll be financial or not, but certainly in the realm of public opinion, when it comes to their credibility, they've got a big problem here. Big, bigly, big league. Wow, it does sound really similar when you say it that way. I'm waiting for the Trump administration to do something really dumb and really problematic so that we can tear it apart. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm waiting in anticipation, like, but I, when that happens, that will be the reaction. But I do have to say that the media is making more and more uh, strong Trump supporters out of much of the country. And I think even some other people in media who are very skeptical of Trump just because they're throwing the kitchen sink at him all the time. Everything, all the time. And he did a really good job in the press conference because he, he, know, he knows how to fight this game. You see, this is the big shift. This is the big change. This is why BuzzFeed is overreaching. This is why the New York Times is apoplectic over all this stuff. This is why CNN is like, we're journalists, but we hate Trump. But we're journalists, but good journalists hate Trump. And th- th- there's this... schizophrenia in the media's mind about all this stuff. They're not used to a Republican or to a person, whether you even think he's a Republican or conservative or not, who knows the games the other side plays and can pull off rolling up the sleeves and saying, bring it. They're not used to this. Look at Bush. Nice guy. Honorable man. Kind of a silver spoon trustafarian who was pretending to be a little more Texan than he was. I mean, I'm not as in love with W as some other conservatives are. He's a good guy. I met him. I talked to him. He's. I can understand why people like him and vote for him. And, and I do think that I think he loved the loved the military and the troops with, with all his heart. I, I believe that. I saw it in his eyes. Uh, I think he's a good man. I think he's got a, a good family. You know. So there's a lot of positives there. But you don't want Bush up there getting peppered in a press conference by the New York Times and these other people. He's going to get going to get flustered. And with Trump, they're not used to this. They and they're still trying to find a way around it. 
But when he called out, whether you think it was fair or not, he understands the dynamics of TV. He understands the dynamic of the cable news feud. One of the dumbest anchors on cable news, and I will not name him because I don't want to be rude. I will just say he doesn't work at Fox. Would always say when I would come on set, hey, hey, we don't need to go back to that subject. Nobody wins a cable news fight. I would look at him and be like, you're a moron. People win. That's the, This whole business is built on winning a cable news fight. Not winning in the sense that necessarily the argument prevails, but every time, every segment, there is a, a back and forth. There's a debate. People are watching, and they think that either one person or the other person came out with the stronger appearance Came out on top every time. This is what this business is based on. I mean, at least the punditry side of it. Trump understands that. And so whether you believe that it was fair for him to say that CNN is fake news or not, it was a, it was like a sucker punch to them. He pulls it off. I have to say, Michael Moore was in an interview with Chris Hayes, whom I should meet at some point because I don't know this guy, but I always say, well, I hear he's nice. I'm sure I'm going to meet him and turn out he's like really mean. But anyway, uh, Michael Moore sitting there with Chris Hayes. Michael Moore had some astute analysis on this. I mean, a lot of other things he says are crazy, and I think he kind of hates America, but that's not the point. He said Trump pulls it off. It's really true. This is what unsettles them so much now. They threw everything at him, and he still won the election. And now they're throwing everything at him to try to delegitimize him, to stop him. He just keeps on coming. I give Kellyanne Conway credit, too. She's a brawler. These people are brawlers. You know, we, we had Romney before. We had the, well, you know, let's let's have a, let's form a consensus opinion on this, and I think the conservative values are more applicable in this circumstance and could uh, help, and we can come together. It didn't work. Didn't work. Obama's hope and, hope and change and dreams and all that stuff, that all, that all beat it. And the media was all in all, all in on Obama's side, and now they're all in against, as they always have been, against the Republicans. But with Trump, there's something something different happening here. All right, uh, 888-900-3393, team. L.L. Bean, I got my bean boots right next to me right now. Next to my boat shoes, of course, of which I have, I don't know, four pairs in different colors. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. It's the only shoes I really have, my bean boots and my boat shoes. And one pair of loafers, so if I have to look fancy, I can. Why am I talking about bean boots? you got to stay with me. I'll be right back, and then I'll tell you. Let's go to commercial. This is the Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team, what I've been saying to you about Trump derangement syndrome is very real. Uh, you've got Rupert Myers, GQ editor. And this is, this is important to keep in mind. This is not the, the normal left-wing media stuff we're seeing now. This is a whole other level. This guy Rupert Myers from his official Twitter account just tweeted out earlier today, at the beginning of the hour actually today, could Obama, this is a quote, from Rupert Meyer's official Twitter account, GQ Writer. I didn't even know GQ is still a magazine. Apparently it is. 
Could Obama murder Trump and Pence, then pardon himself? Question mark. Asking for humanity. End quote. That's wildly irresponsible. Border, borderline going to get a visit from the Secret Service, I think. Uh, this guy might get fired, but the point is not that this is, oh, look at this, another idiot who's saying something about doing harm to the president-elect. That's part of it. That this is how much they they are self-defeating with their hatred of Trump. It is crossing wires for them. It's going to a place where they can't seem to keep it together. They're throwing their careers away over this guy before he's even taken day one in the office. This should tell you something about how invested against this administration they really are. I mentioned earlier today, I was on uh, Maria Bartiromo's excellent, I'd highly commend it to you all, uh, morning show on Fox Business. I posted the clip on Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want to check it out. And one of the things that I was trying to get to, or I mentioned briefly, and I would spend more time on it. By the way, Bean Boots, I haven't forgotten. We're going to get to Bean Boots in a sec. One of the things is that journalists believe that their ethics as as human beings and citizens of this country overrides their journalistic professional ethics. That's the excuse that I think they have in their minds for all of this. That's what's happening now. And you're going to see more of it. People are going to get fired. They're going to they're going to light their careers on fire because they're so spiteful of Trump and his supporters. And as much as a lot of conservatives opposed Obama and thought that he was doing a terrible job, you'd think you'd think there would have been more who went to this length where they said something that would legitimately take them out of the public sphere. But no. This level of emotionalizing politics is more prevalent. I know it's not solely on the left, but it's more prevalent on the left than it is on the right. And this there's one. This is one of many. We got Rosie O'Donnell. I think I don't know if she's kidding. I don't think she is. Martial law? Does she even know what martial law would mean? I don't think so. It just sounds good to her right now because she hates Trump so much. Uh, all right, LL Bean. Speaking of Trump. And stuff. Uh, LL Bean is a company that's been around a, what is it, a, six, a long time. And I'm trying to just pull up the, as I'm talking about this, the latest. Here's what happened. It's bullying uh, me. It's bullying the companies that I own. And the bully, bullying the one that I partly am on, the L.L. Bean Company, which I've owned since I was a child. Yeah. My grandfather gave me the first share of stock the day I was born. That's awesome. So, so I've been on the board for decades. I think I've done a, a good job for our employees, and they're the ones. The, the, they're the victims. Mm-hmm. The company's employees, if the boycotts succeed in these cases, we're not the only one. It's bullying. That was the, uh, the I believe, the chair or the owner. Uh, she's on the board as well of L.L. Bean, which, I ha- like I said, my, my winter boots are L.L. Bean duck boots and have been now for quite a while. She's saying there's this organized boycott against her company now because she donated. She gave $60,000 to the Make America Great Again LLC, which spent a total of $66,000 on pro-Trump materials and online broadcast advertising. The FEC letter warned the organization, uh, organization now could face punishment for the donation. 
Your group, which is not registered as a super PAC, is only legally able to accept individual donations that do not exceed $5,000. So there's this effort to boycott L.L. Bean and L.L. Bean heiress Linda Bean, hence L.L. Bean, like Jack and the Beanstalk. Uh, she's saying that when you boycott a company like L.L. Bean, you're not punishing her, really. She's going to be fine. She's got a lot of money. She's going to be just fine. What it does mean, though, if there's a real drop in sales, is that perhaps a factory will close. Perhaps stores will close. People that work for her company will lose their jobs. This is the way the left mind works, though. The leftists think to themselves, we hate Trump. We hate anyone who supports Trump. We will attack anybody who supports Trump, even if that means we're just attacking people who work for them. Doesn't matter. Collateral damage. Casualties of war. Maybe, you know, these things happen. You got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. I think it's important that this sort of thing is getting attention right away. And I like that Donald Trump is coming out as president saying support L.L. Bean. They're going to say boycott him. No, don't boycott him. Buy him. Go for it. I'd love to get L.L. Bean as a sponsor on this show. Their boots are awesome. I wear them all the time. Uh, 888-900-3393 on the phones. We'll be right back, team. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is The Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, welcome back. Very pleased to be joined now by Ben Shapiro. I'm sure many of you are familiar with him at his work. He is the editor-in-chief of DailyWire.com, syndicated columnist, host of The Ben Shapiro Show, and The Morning Answer. He also writes for National Review. He's at Ben Shapiro on Twitter. Ben, thank you for calling in. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, let's start do you, the boycott LL bean. Uh, what do you, what do you think about this? And, and have you ever owned some bean boots, Ben? Uh, no, I'm from LA. <laughs> so, <laughs> Fair enough. Of, 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 of any sort. I am, I'm about as, as white collar as it comes. But all that said, uh, you know, these boycotts always fail. They're always a big mistake by the left. They tend to generate reverse boycotts from, from the right. Chick-fil-A found this out. It's it's pretty amazing how how often the left tries to declare boycotts on things and they and they just fall apart. And as far as Trump saying go by LL Bean, totally within his totally within his rights to do that. I mean, the whole reason for the boycott on LL Bean is because LL Bean's founder supported Trump. So if he says go out and buy some LL Bean boots, I don't see any problem with that. Also, Ben, you are uh, somebody. You're, you're another Ben who's the editor in chief of a website. There's the Ben over at uh, the. Uh, but at BuzzFeed, not the BuzzFeed, sorry, at BuzzFeed, who was trying to justify the decision to go ahead with that dossier yesterday. I, I just wanted your reaction to the whole, all all the stuff, all the things surrounding the Trump dossier and, and the BuzzFeed publication of it. 
Well, I mean, I think that, number one, CNN and BuzzFeed are not the same outlet, and they didn't report the same thing. And attempts to conflate the two are intellectually dishonest. CNN reported that Clapper and the intelligence community briefed Trump on elements, including the dossier. Uh, that apparently was true. Of, you know, Clapper sort of implied that this morning. Trump has denied that. That's a different story than BuzzFeed actually spreading the memos around, spreading, spreading the dossier around without having verified any of it. I think that their, their kind of justification of it is particularly ridiculous when they say, you know, we had to put it out there so that you can verify it for yourself. I don't have a lot of sources in Putin's Russia. I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of sources over there, so I'm not sure how I'm supposed to do the verification job that, that BuzzFeed and apparently dozens of other outlets weren't able to do. So I think that was irresponsible for, for BuzzFeed to do that. It's particularly irresponsible because – you know, a few years back, I did something similar, and BuzzFeed smacked me for it, and I think rightly so, and I never should have run a story that was a rumor, even though I said it was a rumor. I ran a rumor. I said, this is a rumor, and it turned out not to be true, and the media went nuts over this. And now BuzzFeed does the exact same thing, and it seems like half the media is divided in favor of it because of anti-Trump. Uh, it, to me, Ben, it would be reminiscent of, or, or it would it remind me of what would happen if the raw background investigation files that I, I had a TS clearance at one point, and so they talked to people, there were there were people in suits wandering around my college campus, you know, well after I graduated, asking questions, you know, hey, what did he have a fondness for glassware? I mean, all kinds of stuff. And the FBI, or not the FBI in this case, but the background investigators that did it, uh, they compile all this stuff and then they check it, and then there's a determination made as to whether you're suitable for a clearance or not, but. It would be wildly irresponsible, for example, for somebody to just get that information, which a lot of it is from people who are exes or, you know, angry neighbors or a former employer that you had a falling out with and just in, a, in an all at once manner share that. And lots of people in the government have that stuff out there. So it sort of reminded me of that, that there's there has to if you're going to publish rumor, if you're going to put things out there that are deeply damaging to people, there has to be something standing behind it. It can't just be I heard this from a guy who heard it from a guy who heard it from a guy. Yeah, agreed. I think that's absurd. And, and I think that the way that the media have treated this and I will say that, as Trump said yesterday, most media looked at this and said we wouldn't do that. Um, but BuzzFeed defending itself by saying, yeah, we just had to put it out there. It was our responsibility to put it out there. Well, then what's the point of having a media intermediary in the first place? Why don't we just grab everything that we find on Reddit and that'll become the news? Uh, so it, it's, it's, it's foolishness. It, it also gave Trump just a massive out. I mean, I don't know if Trump, God loves Trump or he made a pact with Satan, but no politician I've ever seen has been as lucky as Trump. <laughs> Imagine if he had to go out to that press conference and the only report that was out there was the credible CNN report that the FBI had, had briefed him on his Trump-Russia ties, and then he had to answer questions about that, that would have been a far worse story for him than him being able to go out there and bash the crap out of BuzzFeed. So uh, BuzzFeed did him an enormous favor because now everybody is focused on the ridiculousness of these charges and the stupidity of BuzzFeed and putting it out there as opposed to you know the, whether, whether there's any credibility to any Trump-Russia ties whatsoever, and we have no idea on that particular score. Agree. This was a, a huge gift for for Trump handed by BuzzFeed, handed over by BuzzFeed. And, and it's something that he's exploited yesterday in that press conference. As you as you stated, CNN reported a different story than what BuzzFeed did. I still I have some issue with the CNN report separately from that because they're constantly getting these sources from inside either the Intel community or the Senate who shouldn't be speaking about this stuff. But that's more normal journalism. Uh, they nonetheless looked really bad in that press conference. <laughs> it didn't really matter that, that what the facts were because Trump understands how it plays in the news cycle. But I want to move to uh, Daily Wire, which is the website for which you are editor-in-chief. Everyone can check out Daily Wire. 
com. Uh, I watched the entirety of the Obama goodbye. You have the 15 uh, Obama says goodbye with 15 big fibs. What were the like the two or three biggest fibs, Ben, that you list here on DailyWire.com? Well, I mean, I, I think that the, the biggest fib of all was when he continues to maintain the terrorist organizations were unsuccessful in the United States during his presidency. I mean, he continues to trot this out. And the way he does that is by qualifying the statement. So it's, it's always no terrorist organization has pursued an organized terror attack on American soil during my presidency while wearing funny hats and, and, and honking the clown nose. I mean, it's, it's like he, he, he just extends the, the requirements to fit inside this little box. But the reality is that, of course, there's tons of terror attacks on, on U.S. soil under President Obama, far more than we saw in the aftermath of 9-11 on U.S. soil under President Bush. Uh, so that, that was a fib. You know, when, when President Obama fibbed about creating this thriving economy, the weakest recovery in American history, when he talked about disarming Iran, that was a particularly egregious one. He said that he'd shut down Iran's nuclear weapons program without firing a shot. That is patently untrue. The Obama administration, apparently, according to the AP, sent 116 tons of uranium to Iran. And Iran has been pursuing nuclear weapons through, through covert ties with, with Germany, apparently. Um, that was reported, I think, by Reuters a few months back. So that's a bunch of silliness. When he says that he secured the right to health insurance, no, actually, he put, pointed a gun at you and said, you need to buy health insurance or we're going to fine you and then don't pay the fine, we'll jail you. So yeah, it, it, was, it was just lie after lie. But this is the reason – Obama doesn't get it. This is the reason why Americans turned against him and, and toward Trump is because he had crafted this alternative reality – that, that just doesn't exist for most Americans, where everything is hunky-dory, everything is great and grand. And he said in the middle of his speech that race relations had gotten better over the last 10 years. There's not a single poll that shows that race relations have gotten better over the last 10 years. In fact, from 2009 to 2016, race relations have worsened dramatically. I mean, there was a, a, a poll, I think, from Gallup that showed that about 60, 62%, 63% of Americans in April 2009 thought race relations were really good in the United States. Today, two out of three Americans think race relations are really bad in the United States. He's out there talking about what a great job he did. All of this is, is mostly just funny at this point because Obama has burned down his own party, and he's sitting there celebrating himself for having done all of this and maintaining the fiction that he did a wonderful job. The best gift, to, another gift that Donald Trump wanted, another gift would be for Obama to stick around and just criticize from the outside because he has, he's sucking all the oxygen out of the room. He is lying routinely, and nobody believes what he has to say anyway. One more from DailyWire.com I want to ask you about. I'm speaking to Ben Shapiro. He's the editor-in-chief of the DailyWire.com, uh, and that is the image of the great economic leader and why it's dangerous. I just wanted you to make the case, then people can go to your piece and, and read it in full. Sure. So, you know, D Donald Trump is kind of sitting atop Trump Tower these days, and business leaders go up to the top of Trump Tower, and they meet with the, the, benevolent, the benevolent giants. And then he comes down and he says, this person has pledged to do X, Y, and Z for America. And everybody cheers. Now, listen, I'm happy jobs are being brought back to America. But the way the jobs should be brought back to America is by the president pursuing policies that generally affect Americans well. And businesses choose to keep the businesses there. And they say, well, thanks, President Trump, for creating this wonderful business climate. Instead, what it is, is it creates this image that business people and Trump are plotting the American economy. That if, if it had just been, that what all we really need is an active leader to push businesses into investing in America, to cajole them and threaten them into, into putting their dollars in the United States, and that's how the economy thrives, except for the fact that that's not true. Every time the government gets involved in bullying, cuddling, or bribing people to stay in the United States, that's actually a drag on the American economy. 
and it lends credence to the idea that the government is really in control of the economy or should be in control of the economy. It also creates this perverse cycle where business people go to the president. The president says, I'd like for you to invest. They say, okay, sure, we'll invest. Everybody's happy. Then later when there's a recession, the politician says, listen, I told those people they should have invested more. And the business people say, yeah, I guess we really screwed the pooch on that one. And the American people blame business and then give more power to government. So it's always an increasing share of government in, in the economy. That's the result of this sort of economic great leader aesthetic. And I'm, I'm just not a fan of that. Ben Shapiro is a syndicated columnist, host of The Ben Shapiro Show and The Morning Answer. He's also editor-in-chief of DailyWire.com. Go check out his site for all the latest there. Ben, great to have you with us. Thanks for joining. Hey, thanks so much. Uh, team 888-900-3393 on the phones. Call in. Let's chat. We can discuss all kinds of things. And also, sponsor this half hour, silencershop.com. Silencers have been in the news a bit recently because people are realizing that a silencer is just a great accessory to have for your firearm. So there may be some legislation underway, hopefully this year, that will make it even easier to get a silencer. But right now, the easiest way to go is through silencershop.com. They have the best, most knowledgeable staff you'll find anywhere when it comes to getting silencers. They have a wide selection and when you purchase a silencer from silencershop.com, you pick it up at a local dealer. There are no transfer fees. There is no shipping fee, or there's no shipping, rather. It's there for you, and you're supporting local business by doing it. So go to silencershop.com. You can read testimonials there, reach out to the staff, everything you need right there. Silencershop.com. Again, that is silencershop.com. Help make the world a quieter place, and we will be right back. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. to the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, we got phone lines open, so let's take some calls. We have Kathy in Connecticut. You're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Hey, Buck. Hey, what's up? Hey, Buck. Hi. Yes. I have a, hey. a movie. I have a movie. Uh, ah, so we're doing action movie quote Thursday with Kathy. Fair enough. Yeah. Yes, we are. Uh, so there's a couple of quotes, <laughs> and I have to be careful with my wording, um, so bear oh with my. me. Okay, ready? No, I'll be careful. You tell me. Um, okay. Life say female dog, right? Life say yeah. female yeah. dog, and she's in heat. Okay. That's one. That's it? That's oh, one, no, sorry. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I've come here to chew bubble gum and kick but that's the a word and i'm all out of bubble gum all right the first one i have absolutely no idea the second one i've heard a million times but i have to admit i don't know what movie that's uh, from so let's start with the second one because that that is the you've got me dead to rights on that one i should know that and i don't okay so, so tell you the name yeah the movie okay it's yeah they it's live. okay they, this, is, this isn't top live. secret info people are googling okay. it right now so go ahead <laughs> okay they live and it's uh, it's an 80s movie, and it's Roddy Piper. And you have to see it. You have to see ah, it. Ah, the WWF guy. Right, Roddy Piper. Yeah. I remember him. Okay, yeah. and what's the yeah. first one? That one I had absolutely, I've never heard. I have no idea. Oh, no, no. It's the same movie. 
Oh, well, that, that 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 explains why I don't know it. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Anything else in your mind, Kathy, or are you just you just stumping? Uh, you're just pulling out your action movie quote black belt for the day. No, no. I my husband loves those kind of movies, so I've been watching them for years. And in fact, it was, we watched it again this weekend, and uh, I'm like, I gotta call in. It has great quotes all the way through. So you have to see that one. It's great. All right, I will check it out. Right. Thank you very much. Right. Great to have you, all Kathy. Right. Shields high. Thank you. Joel in Ohio. You're on the Buck Saxon Show. What's up? Hey, Buck. How's it going? Yeah, you got to watch that. Good, good. Uh, they, they Live uh, movie. It's great. Um, what is it about? Better? It's like aliens? Is it aliens or is it zombies? Uh, it's aliens, but um, it's got the uh, dystopian, you know, uh, it explains why things the way they are in, in government. So you'll like it. Ah. It's fun. Okay. It's fun. Yeah. Um so there's a lot of people sitting around eating bagels, complaining about how they're underpaid and wondering when their next uh, comp day is, right? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, they make, they make fun of all that. It's great. Um, the uh, the Trump thing, I was wondering, like, I, I agree that the prevailing uh, theme with this Trump is, like, you know, they obviously hate him and fear him and, you know, a whole bag of stuff. And, by the way, I was a uh, – uh, still am, uh, you know, and I hope – Whatever president gets in there does the best for the country, obviously. But I was a never Trumper, so this isn't coming from like a uh, a Homer area. Um, but with this uh, latest from BuzzFeed, could other scenarios be playing? Like you know, there could be multiple threads with this. One being uh, the Democratic Party wanting to sort of try and chill relations between Trump and Russia. Wait, so you think that the de- – I'm sorry. I didn't really follow follow the thesis here. You're, you're wondering yeah. if all the media stuff is meant to just make things hard for Trump with dealing with Russia? Well, not the media, more the Democratic Party. Because with Obama, there seemed to be tension between Russia and the U.S., and there, was, there wasn't so much uh, partnership from, you know, looking on the outside. And I'm wondering, since they've sort of – the Democrats kind of picked – the Middle East, and there was this, you know, inner battle with Syria and Russia. If they're just trying to make that relationship hard, and then um, on the flip side, could this be something chilling to Trump himself, saying, "Look, we're going to throw this out there in the most irresponsible way, but just so you know, um, we could make things difficult for you if we turn other stuff up." Huh. Okay. Let me try to take these one one by one. Um, yeah. The question about, or the the point you raise about whether Democrats are just trying to make things difficult for Trump with Russia, uh, I, I think yeah, sure, but that's under a much broader umbrella. Of they're trying to make everything more difficult for Trump, and the reason yeah. that Russia has become a focal point isn't because all of a sudden. Russia has changed its foreign policy or anything. It's because Russia, Hillary, the election, that's that is the direct line. That is what has gotten them so uh, agitated and why there's such a sort of frenzy of beehive, angry beehive of media activity around Russia all the time now because of the Russian hack of the DNC and Podesta, which I think now we can all basically agree that that happened i i hope i still i've gotten less angry emails from people telling me i'm a sellout because i think that the hack happened but it didn't make a big difference 
Uh, so that's why Russia is such a focus right now. It should also be pointed out that the Obama administration has done a terrible job of thwarting Russian ambitions and aggressions. So how mu- yeah. it's fair to ask how much worse could Trump really be in dealing with Russia? And then I'm sorry, I got so I got so uh, intrigued by your first point. I forgot. What was the second one? Give me the one sentence on it. Uh, so the second one is this is just a shot across the bow for against Trump saying, look, we're going to release something irresponsible. But just so you know, we could do. Yeah. OK. Good, good point. Yeah, and people are raising this. People are raising this one, too, Joel. It's a good point. I don't mean to speak over you. Just we're about to head into, head into a heartbreak yeah. and want to answer your question. Yeah. Um, oh, I would say this. Hillary, it would be Hillary, wait, uh, We've only got 30. We've only got 30 seconds. Uh, yeah. Joel, it's very it would be very hard to get any information on Trump, particularly of a personal nature uh, that I think would make much difference. I, I really I really don't know. It would have to be really, really bad. And even then, look what we knew about. Look at the Democrats with Bill Clinton when he was when he was president. So uh, I, I don't think that that's something that's going to happen. Uh, the financial ties, we'll see. The financial ties may be there, but even those wouldn't dis- wouldn't destroy the presidency necessarily. So we'll have to see. Joel Shields, hi. Thank you for calling. How much time do I have, Shimon? Oh, I've got oh, I've got thirty seconds now. I'm sorry, I misheard the uh, sound cue and I cut Joel off earlier than I intended to. Apologies, Joel, but it was very two very good questions. Think about this. Play this out in your head, but don't do it too visually. I suppose. What would it take in terms of a video that the FSB could have that would make Trump supporters turn on Trump? It would have to be really bad. And in terms of the financial connections, too, I don't think people are going to care that much if there are some Trump ties to Russia. More coming. Be back in a few. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Team, we're joined now by David French. He is a staff writer for National Review, a senior fellow at the National Review Institute. He's also an attorney and a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. You can read his latest on nationalreview.com. David, thanks for calling in. Well, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, first, Dave, can I get your reaction to this just now breaking story? Uh, so, and, and it's very, it's, it, it is what it says right here. Justice Department Inspector General to investigate pre-election actions by the department and the fbi you think this has got some legs this is this certainly perked uh, perked my ears up a little bit um yeah i i will have to see <laughs> I, I think this is not surprising at all given the level of controversy and rancor right now that exists over fbi actions and doj actions prior to the election um this is all that you know this is of course linked to the hillary clinton fbi uh, investigation. Um, it may even go beyond that and take a look at, for example, where, what kind of investigations were undergoing of uh, the Trump campaign, and why would they be dis- why would they not be disclosed if they existed? Why were the Clinton investigate the reopening of the Clinton investigation disclosed? I mean, there's a lot 
there's a lot to look at. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see what the inspector general says. But I'm, I'm not surprised by this. Uh, do you think that there's going to be a lot of back and forth again over the Comey? Do you think Comey, by the way, what happens to him? You know, that's a great question. I mean, he came into this election cycle with one of the best reputations in Washington, and he's leaving this election cycle um, exactly. It's he's leaving it completely a victim of partisan politics. In other words, um, the, the regard for him by either side of the aisle was directly dependent on whether his actions were seen as helping or hurting uh, in, the, in the election. And, and that's a real shame because I think the real problem here, the original problem here, was not James Comey who was put in a terrible position, um, but it was Hillary Clinton's problem. That was the original problem. That was the original sin here was the creation of the homebrew server which the FBI had to investigate as soon as it was known that there was classified information on that server. They got they have to look at that. And she is the Democrats went ahead and nominated her knowing that there was an FBI inquiry ongoing. They put their thumb, the Democratic National Committee put their thumb on the scales for her knowing there was an FBI inquiry going, knowing it'd be one of the most uh, talked about and examined aspects of law enforcement uh, law enforcement activity in the last 20 years. And I, there are things I could quibble with with Comey. Uh, I, I, I continue to disagree with his initial decision not to recommend for prosecution. Um, but he was put in an extraordinarily difficult position, and I, I don't know how he's going to extricate himself from it going forward uh, and be able to continue to do the job in the same way that he did before with such high bipartisan regard. I think right now the FBI is in a situation like the CIA where everything that it does is now being examined through a partisan lens. So, David, you've got a couple of pieces up on NashReview.com on the Trump dossier that dropped yesterday. Uh, you, I, I think it's fair to say, uh, in, in writing, dropkicked BuzzFeed for releasing the... Is that, is that a fair characterization? <laughs> you, that might I always be feel a like little mild. Has, okay, a little mild, yeah. It, it, was a, mild. it was a... It was a drunken Scottish headbutt in the bar. I mean, it was, it was fierce. Uh, you were not happy with what went down with BuzzFeed. One thing that you got into in your piece that I think has received a, a lot less att- honestly I I hadn't even heard about it until I saw it in your piece is this guardian uh this guardian allegation or guardian reporting I should say that here let me read it this is from nashreview.com David French's piece up there right now the guardians learned that the FBI applied for a warrant from the FISA court over the summer in order to monitor four members of the Trump team Suspected of irregular contacts with Russian officials, the FISA court turned down the application, asking FBI counterintelligence investigators to narrow its focus. According to one report, the FBI was finally granted a warrant in October, but that has not been confirmed. What the what is going on here? (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I don't know Um, what we know, what we here's what we think we know. We think we know that the FBI was seeking a warrant under the uh, FISA, which is essentially what FISA is doing is a special court that, uh, uh, that evaluates warrants to determine uh, foreign influence in the United States. It's a national security warrant, in other words. It's not a war- necessarily a warrant dealing with finding probable ca- cause that a crime has been committed. So um, very rarely are those FISA warrant requests turned down. But if this Guardian report is to be believed, the FBI sought a report, uh, sought a warrant, and it was turned down, then narrowed it and sought uh, the warrant and got it. 
Uh, now, this is based on reporting from Heat Street, which issued its report on this, and it was completely lost in the news. I mean, completely lost. One reason, it was it was issued at like 10 p.m. the night before the election. So nobody, uh, nobody was following it. Everyone was then focused on the election returns. So there's a lot uh, going on that we don't know. Uh, and, and that's one of the things I was so livid about the BuzzFeed report is that BuzzFeed report just sucked all the oxygen out of the room uh, for the sake of dumping out into the public square a 35 pages of anonymously sourced um, hearsay that was already in the process of being debunked in many ways and was, was being investigated in many other ways. And BuzzFeed just threw it out there. Um, and that, that was journalistic malpractice of the highest order. Look, before the election, people approached me and said, I have information that Donald Trump is this or that. And one of the first things that you do when, you're, when you have the slightest bit of integrity as somebody who writes about politics, who writes about law and culture, is you say, well, what's your evidence? And if all the evidence is, well, it's this anonymously sourced secondhand memo, um, you know, it's sort of put up or shut up at that point. And what BuzzFeed did was it just threw everything out there, even though it was already researching it and even though it had already begun to debunk elements of it. Uh, it made no sense at all. I, I received uh, anonymous tips about I sh- anonymous tips about or unverifiable. I mean, I spoke to people or got emails from people, so I don't know. You know, I couldn't tell who they were about the Clintons. That would have made quite a, would have been quite a story to tell people, and that's for the Clintons. Given all we know about right. them, that's this would have been a whole next level. I was told things that are you know federal prison for decades for Bill Clinton. I, I can't repeat that stuff on air. I, I can't write. I can't write posts. I can't put my name to something. Oh, this this guy named you know named Bob called me and said that Bill Clinton. You know, along the lines of sort of PizzaGate conspiracies, things like that. Yeah. How how can BuzzFeed, which is one of the 20, I think, biggest websites in the world in terms of traffic, maybe even top 10, how could they make such an error? I think it has to only be, as I'm calling it, sort of Bush derangement syndrome, and now it's Trump derangement syndrome, which is a much more chronic and, I think, uh, destructive disorder. Well, you know, it, it looks to me like sheer malice is what it looks to me like. So. Uh, you know, one of the things they said. Is there a legal case, court, David? I don't mean to cut you off, but I know you're a lawyer. And since you said malice, well, do you think you there's know, a legal case it, against BuzzFeed? When you're dealing with attacking public figures, it's very hard for a public figure to sue a media organization. But if a, if a public figure can can prove that a media organization published intentionally false information or intentionally published information that it knew to be false or uh, had reckless disregard for the truth, then there's some vulnerability there. And what's interesting is that BuzzFeed statement says, well, you know, we know all that this isn't all right. Well, they didn't go out and identify what was wrong. They just threw it all out there. And then, and then the other thing is what was particularly uh, ridiculous is they said, well, we, we want Americans to make up their own minds. Well, look, guys, we're not freestanding intelligence agencies. I can't go fly to Moscow and start interviewing sources. I can't hack into FSB databases and see if they have, you know, videotapes of Donald Trump. I mean, that was one of the most absurd things I've ever read in my entire life. BuzzFeed, as you noted, is an enormous media organization. It has enormous traffic. It has an entire news team, and they weren't able to verify a lot of this stuff, and then they're going to put it out there and say, well, you be the judge? What? You know, that makes 
absolutely no sense. And, and to me, it, it fatally undermines their credibility going forward. If I see a report from BuzzFeed going forward, I'm going to double, triple and quadruple check it because I'm not going to believe a thing that they have to say. Yeah, you mean you couldn't just call up, you know, your uncle, your uncle Yuri, and and Aunt Svetlana in Russia, David? And I mean, this is that this notion that people can can figure out for themselves the veracity without any accountability on the sources. Then there's no end to this, right? If this was the new stand, if BuzzFeed standard was the new standard for journalism, people could write absolutely anything, say, "Oh, I protect my sources, not name their sources," and there, <laughs> the whole thing comes down. It is dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. But I, I oh, want to get your take. Absolutely. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying absolutely, and and I'm glad you brought up rumors about the Clintons. I've gotten rumors about the Clintons. I've gotten rumors about Obama. Every major candidate for president in this cycle and the cycle before, I got tons of rumors about you don't publish that stuff. Some of them are so ridiculous and incredible you laugh out loud when you hear them. But when you're in the media, you're a rumor magnet, and and BuzzFeed knows that, and that's why, doubly why it's irresponsible that they did what they did. Yeah, I mean, the, the the FEMA camps, until I get more verification on what's going on at the FEMA camps, David, I, I just can't run with that story. I'm sure you've gotten those and the chemtrails and all the rest of it. Um, so I, I want to also ask you about Pompeo down at the at the Congress getting grilled by the Senate. Big issues that have come up are uh, mass surveillance and waterboarding. How do you think Pompeo is doing and where do you think the administration should be on those two very contentious points? <laughs> well, this is not going to be a very politically correct answer, but I don't believe waterboarding is torture. Um, I believe that we should. I'm, I'm with Alan Dershowitz. I agree with you. So. He, he, he articulated a position many years ago that, in essence, what we should be able to get in extreme circumstances is a warrant to conduct enhanced interrogation. In other words, ticking time bomb scenarios or particularly significant interrogations. Uh, seek, do it under a legal process. Seek and get a warrant and do. Uh, enhanced interrogations through a lawful process. I, I think that they can be effective, um, and I don't believe it's torture. And so, uh, you know, I, 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 I know that the administration is ultimately looks like the administration ultimately is going to take the position that they won't do it. But I think it should be and can be a tool in our toolkit. Um, as far as mass surveillance goes, I, I'm not one of those that's terribly paranoid about it. Um, the I, I given the the problem that we have with what people are wrongly calling sort of self radicalization, it's not really self radicalization. They're not just sitting there in a room disconnected from the world and everyone else and radicalizing to into jihadist Islam. It's a process that involves communication. It's a process that involves um, sometimes involves communication overseas. It's a process that often involves visiting of particular websites. And, you know, if if you do it prudently uh, and if you can peg and identify uh, the uh, right places to to um, to raise red flags, surveillance can be very, very useful, especially in this age of self-radicalization. But there has to be guardrails. Um, I think common sense should apply. But I'm not I'm not someone who hears the words mass surveillance and immediately kind of curls up in the fetal position, I think. Okay, what are you doing? What are the guardrails? What are you looking for? How are you looking for it? And that level of precision, unfortunately, is is difficult to discuss in public because you're often talking about classified systems. David French is a writer for a staff writer for National Review, senior fellow at the National Review Institute. Uh, follow him on Twitter at David A. French. 
and also read his latest on NashReview.com. David, thank you so much. Always great to have you. Well, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Team, we'll be right back after the break. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. I've been mentioning it, uh, team, and I wanted to give you the actual number here. BuzzFeed, which we've been talking about a lot because of the Trump dossier, according to Quantcast, which is a nifty little site if you ever want to see how much traffic any particular website gets. According to Quantcast.com, BuzzFeed is the 12th biggest website in the United States and has a U.S. reach of 90 million unique readers a month. That is enormous. Is absolutely huge. Uh, so, if you want to look at the other uh, other sites that are in that striking distance in the neighborhood, now you're talking about the Facebooks, Amazon.com, uh, number one in terms of unique uh, users in uh, in the U.S. at least is uh, Google. I, I think I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Google's number here. I've got the list out. Google's number one. YouTube is number two. Uh, Facebook is three. MSN.com is four. Who knew? Yahoo five, Amazon six, Bing seven, eBay eight, Twitter nine, Yelp ten, Pinterest eleven, BuzzFeed twelve. So BuzzFeed, according to Quantcast of U.S. sites, and it says that's actually a monthly unique of sixty million, uh, according to Quantcast here. I don't know why it said ninety million before. There are different metrics they use here, but you have more people accessing BuzzFeed month to month than are on Netflix. More people on BuzzFeed than go to Wikipedia. Uh, and sir, the only news site that's even really in the neighborhood here that I see, that's a, that's a straight news site instead of sort of a web conglomerate, uh, foxnews.com is the number 25 site in the U.S., and BuzzFeed is number 12. So that gives you a sense of whether you read BuzzFeed or not. It, it is, this is not, oh, some little blog somewhere that we can ignore has a tremendous reach, and that reach is not built on the finest journalism in the world, clearly, but nonetheless, it is a site that a lot of people pay attention to, so I thought we should just get the numbers straight on that. I think we'll talk a little bit about health care coming up here, and then we'll get into policing and cops and what's going on in the country with all that. So we've got a lot more show in this third-hour team. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Call in at 888-900-3393. Stay with me. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is. Let me know if we get that audio, Shaman. The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to hour three in the Freedom Hut. Some of you, I know, it's your favorite hour. Others, it's hour one, and there's there's an hour two posse out there too. They they love it. So 
our two squad. Um, you can pick any of them, all of them. Our three, usually uh, when I would fit in a buck brief, not going to do that today or probably tomorrow, but maybe we'll do a third-hour deep dive, NATSEC, all things national security that we haven't been talking about much, including what's going on in Mosul, by the way. That operation is still ongoing, very tough fighting against the Islamic State, uh, not getting a lot of coverage, things in Afghanistan heading south. I mentioned the kidnapping video. A uh, lot to talk about on the national security front. Not going to get to it today, though, but just want to put a pin in that. And get you excited for some upcoming buck briefs. Deep diving. Uh, tomorrow is going to be quite a freestyle. I mean, the show is going to be the show is going to be the dopeness tomorrow. I don't know what else to say. It's going to be awesome. I like to think it's that way every day, but let's be honest. Some days are amazing. Other days are just like real good. So, Obamacare. Senate yesterday voted to begin the process to repeal uh, Obamacare, you had senators voting 51 to 48 to approve a budget resolution. And that budget resolution is sort of the beginning of the end of the Affordable Care Act, according to Republicans. House leaders are going to take it up tomorrow. So the Senate uh, voted on 19 amendments. Uh, Of course, Democrats who don't have the votes to stop because this is on the budget side. Remember, you need 60 to break a filibuster except on budgetary issues and through budget reconciliation. So Republicans have a clear path as long as they're using the budget as the mechanism, and they have taken some steps. This is where, of course, a lot of the argument now is going to go. You've got Democrats, according to USA Today, saying that repealing the law will strip millions of Americans of health insurance, uh, leave people with pre-existing conditions unable to find coverage, and increase the nation's budget deficit by $353 billion over the next 10 years as the tax and fee provisions that pay for Obamacare are gutted. Okay, a lot here. First off, Paul Krugman, who is known as a a good economist, but a terrible political editorialist. I I think that's the most fair way to describe him. He used to do good work as an economist, and now he's just writes screeds for the New York Times and hides behind, oh, I was a good economist, and now I can tell you everything about politics. It doesn't work that way, Tommy... Uh, I'm sorry, Paul E., not Tommy. I don't know why. I was saying Tom Friedman for a second. Uh, He now is concerned about the deficit. You're going to hear a lot of this. And this falls into that broad category of things that the Democrats did not care at all about while Obama was in office. The budget, it's going to be, we're going to be 20 trillion, not the budget, the deficit's going to be $20 trillion very soon. Adult doesn't matter. We need more spending. Remember, the argument that the left was making for why Obama's trillion-dollar stimulus didn't work was that it wasn't big enough, that they didn't spend enough of your money on a whole lot of stuff, including pet projects that the left just wanted to ram through one way or another. That was the argument they were making. Obama didn't spend enough of the public's money in a partisan fashion. And remember, the trillion-dollar stimulus package was different from the bailout of the banks, although for political reasons, Democrats like to conflate those two things. TARP, Troubled Asset Relief Program, different from the stimulus. And so now they're going to tell you that anything that adds to the deficit is courting catastrophe. Anything that makes us go further into debt is an enormous a red flag posing tremendous systemic risks to the economy. And the whiplash on this is very pronounced. 
Paul Krugman, Krugman and others, I'm sure, if we were to look it up, but Krugman, I've seen it, was writing before Hillary's defeat because he assumed she would win. Deficits don't pay attention. Once Hillary gets in office, full steam ahead. Spend, spend, spend. Infrastructure, infrastructure. Trump won, and now it's, whoa, whoa, you can't change any government programs and add to the, add to the debt. Sorry, did I say I was I think I might have been using debt and deficit uh, interchangeably there for a second. I didn't mean to do that. Right. We all know debt is the overall aggregate number that is owed. Deficit is the year in, year out shortfall between spending and taxes or as they call it, revenue. So the debt is enormous. The debt is 20 trillion dollars. I think I might have said deficit before. Apologies for that. Uh, The debt is 20 trillion dollars and it is getting bigger. It's an astonishing version of events you get from the Obama administration that after spending a trillion dollars a year more than we were taking in in taxes, or that the government, I should say, was taking in in taxes, that when they broke it down or they took it down to three or four hundred billion, they would brag about how, oh, well, the, we, we've, cut, we've cut the deficit by more than anybody else. Well, that's like saying I was spending $20,000 a month on my credit card into debt, and now I'm only spending $10,000 a month that's a 50% reduction. I'm doing great. Well, no, you're, you're still spending yourself into oblivion. It's very bad. So uh, you're going to see a lot of this now, that anything that's ch- any changes to Obamacare are going to be adding to the debt, and, well, the, the, de- the deficit this year and the debt going forward, and this is terrible, and there's going to be a meltdown in the global economy unless Republicans are stopped. And, and the turnaround in this line of analysis is very rapid months ago oh no hillary should have spent everything now it's so it's they like spending when their guy or gal does it and they hate it when our guy or gal does it this is pretty straightforward on the so that's one aspect of obamacare that's going to be a very dishonest debate a very dishonest discussion then on the pre-existing medical conditions component here i've got to say this was the most genius thing that democrats did with obamacare because there is a and i agree with it there is a moral argument that a society such as ours, as wealthy as ours, should have the mechanisms in place. Keep in mind the whole healthcare system is hyper-regulated and it's all a giant series of government intrusions into the market anyway. And that people with pre-existing conditions were left out in the cold is, is wrong. And, Republic, and Trump has said, Republicans have said, they will find a way to cover people with pre-existing conditions. I... Right now, take them at their word, but this is very important because that's where the Democrats were able to, on one issue, seize the moral high ground in a way that overshadowed all the other terrible crap they were doing with this law. All the other uh, dislocations and all the other uh, financial burdens that they were putting on people and the deterioration in health care, all of that stuff. So I think that's very important to note as well. They need to make sure they keep pre-existing condition coverage somehow. And th- so that's, a, that's a, a very important aspect of this. And I would, I would just say that this is something that we all will talk about, and it should be a focus of ours, because healthcare is such a stress, and it shouldn't be, which should be much more clear-cut what you're paying. This idea that every time, and I don't know what your experience is with this are but every time you go to the doctor you may get a bill i got a bill recently i went to a doctor in system in network for a an office visit and i still got a bill for two hundred dollars 
And I'm saying, well, and they're saying, oh, well, because of the doctor, and I'd already paid my deductible law for the year and everything. And, and I'm looking at this this jargon on the back of it, and I have a decent reading comprehension. I was like, what? So the doctor added in charges for an office visit where no procedure was done, but just decided to charge more money than the plan allows, and that's my fault. Now I have to pay, but it's in network. It's in, I mean, it's just. The, the the fact that you're always playing, you feel like you're playing roulette every time you go to a doctor's office, is just nonsense. Part of this is the American people need to realize that we're going to have to, the same way that people are spending more money now going out to restaurants than ever before and doing these things. Healthcare is something you're going to have to pay for a lot of the time. Your day to day healthcare, day to day maintenance of your health is not going to be here's ten bucks or here's twenty bucks, and I never have to think about this again. That's not actually a good thing. It feels like a good thing in the beginning, and it feels like a good thing if you manage to keep that, if you're one of the few Americans who can stay in the same job for a long time and never have these switches. But for a lot of the rest of us, it's this anxiety that you have to deal with uh, that every time you go see a doctor, and every, and especially once you start, if you have, a, if you have to have an operation, you have a procedure, you're just kind of holding your breath and hoping that it's covered and... I spend I spend all this time doing paperwork for reimbursements. It's just a mess. It's a mess, and it doesn't have to be this way. Think about the complexity of so many other consumer markets and the sorts of things that are being done in them, the advances that are being made all the time. Uh, it was really interesting. I saw on Twitter recently someone at the same place. It was kind of a it was a cool visualization in the same spot, holding up a a photo of a computer from the 1950s i think which it looked like they were you know loading a submarine in a crater something like that on into a building and then uh, hundreds of computers on one tiny chip held between fingers we've seen these enormous advances and yet as people are pointing out you still have EpiPens cost i don't know five or six hundred dollars each uh, you go to this store and you, you need to get um you know, you've got I don't know uh, what's the um, what's the the, the, the the people get on their arms the skin condition. I can't even think of what it's called right now. Psoriasis is it plaque psoriasis? And if your insurance doesn't cover, there's a little tube of stuff that you put on your arms so you don't have a skin problem. It's like six hundred dollars, right? Or you go to the doctor and and you get a prescription for uh, you, they think you've got a stomach bug or something, and they give you antibiotics. If it's covered, it's ten bucks. If not, it's you know. 200 or so. it's just crazy it's crazy it shouldn't be this way and tinkering around the edges is certainly not going to fix it if you go to get an mri mris have basically been the same for decades now x-rays i mean x-ray technology maybe they've made some advances here and there i'm not a i'm not a radiologist i don't really know but x-rays more or less have been the same since the since they got x-rays <laughs> it's been the same for a long time you know what an x-ray bill looks like if you don't have insurance? I mean, I went to the doctor recently uh, for a really bad migraine. They gave me a couple of IV bags and some sh- and, a, and a shot or two to take to deal with the pain. And they billed my insurance company $2,000 or something like that for a couple of IV bags and a, a few shots of what are effectively NSAIDs, just anti-inflammatory drugs, Tylenol, ibuprofen, things like that. A little stronger, but same idea. $2,000 for some salty water and a couple of Tylenol shots? 
This is just insane, right? We all know that this is wrong, but it's such a useful tool of two things, uh, social engineering and wealth redistribution, and that has become, and, and therefore the politics around this are deeply embedded. They're very toxic, and it's hard to have a, a real discussion because on the one hand, you have those who are claiming that health care is a right. Okay, health care is a right. Well, how much health care is a right? Emergency health care, we all agree on. Fine. If you got a if you got a machete sticking out of your shoulder, they got to treat you in the hospital, no doubt about it. If you go in the hospital, you got a problem, you go to the emergency room, they've got to treat you. That's just the way that it is. Or we all agree on that. But unless market forces have some effect on the other aspects of healthcare, we're going to always be stuck in this anxiety-filled game, which is not a fun game to play, of is this covered? Can I go to this doctor? Should I go to this doctor? And should I have this operation? Should I have this surgery? Should I have this done? I don't know what it's going to cost. Have I used up my deduct? All this stuff. It's not the way that it is with you know, your home insurance. not the way it is with your car insurance. That's pretty straightforward for the most part. But you're going to get Democrats screaming like banshees on this stuff, saying that any alterations to their beloved Obamacare is terrible. Shamont, do we have some of that audio from the center floor? Please play it. Mr. Schumer. Tens of millions of Americans who will Debate have their costs go up, vote. whether they're in the exchange or not. If ACA is revealed, the Democratic leader is not in order. I vote no. Mr. Schumer. Debate is not in order during a vote. No. On behalf of elderly Come people on. who cannot debate afford higher prescription drugs, I vote no. Because there is no replace, debate I vote no. During debate, McCaskill, vote. no. On behalf of the 1.2 million Illinois who will lose will be in order. health insurance with debate this issue of the ACA, allowed. the Senate will be in and order. And for all those with pre-existing conditions, I stand on prosthetic legs vote. to vote no. Senate will be in order. I think you get the idea. Schumer, many others, grandstanding here with their with their no votes, knowing they can't stop it, but they're just trying to go on on the record, even though that's not what's supposed to be happening there. You can hear the gaveling in the background saying this is not a debate. This is just casting your vote. All trying to go on the record for how terrible this is, how horrible this is. I'll tell you about some of the uh, – we can discuss some of the realities of this when we come back. Uh, 888-900-3393, healthcare and then policing. Much more show. Stay with me. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. The Buck Sexton Show. So there's another part of the Obamacare debate that, just so we're all aware of it and on the same page with this, uh, they're claiming that there's 20 million people that get insurance through it. Really, what they've done for, as we've had some of the experts on to tell us this in the past, they've expanded Medicaid, which is uh, health care for people below a certain income level. And the healthcare outcomes for those individuals are 
almost no different from those who don't have in the same income bracket who don't have access to Medicaid. There's really no discernible difference according to the most detailed studies of this that have been done. So Medicaid is not good insurance, and that's the primary expansion of it. It's also uh, a budget buster for a lot of states. It's a tremendously expensive line item for a lot of the states that have it. And, of course, there's a tremendous amount of federal money that comes into it. One of the mechanisms of Obamacare that was thrown out by the Supreme Court was telling all states, you better expand your Medicare roles or else we'll pull Medicaid. I'm sorry, Medicare. I meant Medicaid. Your Medicaid roles or else we'll pull all federal funding for Medicaid that you currently have. That was considered too coercive. So it did lose on that score. Uh, But that's not making the system better. That's just throwing more taxpayer dollars at the system that's already in place. And the more people become educated on their health, the more they want choices and the more they want the ability, I would think, just like you do with schools, to pick and choose where you are spending your resources and your time and your effort. Um, This notion that there's always going to be somebody else who picks up the tab for health spending is really one of the reasons why it's kind of fitting right now. There's a very loud ambulance that is right underneath my window as I'm talking to you about healthcare spending. Um, sorry, it's going to take a minute or two here. The New York City traffic means that even the ambulances go about five miles an hour much of the time. Uh, so the way that they're spending this money is not necessarily improving health outcomes for a lot of the individuals who are covered under Obamacare. And everyone I know who has an exchange-based plan who isn't getting Medicaid or who's not part of the Medicaid expansion, says the plan is is terrible, Um, that they're just the deductible is so high that it really only offers them catastrophic insurance coverage. And if they don't qualify for subsidies, now they're paying for a plan that they don't get to use. They're still paying out of pocket to go see doctors. And unless they hit a $5,000 or $7,000 ceiling of spending uh, for any given year, which... That, that, that's a that's definitely a few visits to the doctor or or a, a major procedure of some kind or significant procedure, not a major operation. But unless you do that, you're you're subsidizing other people in the in the insurance pool. You're not getting any benefit out of it and you're paying full freight. So it's not a good system they've they've set up. The whole thing needs to be reformed pretty dramatically. And I hope that the Republicans are able to do it for all of our sakes. This is where I want the best. I want the best for all Americans, and I I want the best for the Democrats that love Obamacare and think this is great. So this is really, we should all be on the same team with this, but of course it's been deeply politicized, and the left just thinks that this is an issue of good people are for Obamacare, bad people are against it. How about just, we all want to make healthcare better, and how do we do that? Let's take Obama's name out of it. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton. On the Blaze Radio Network. Team, we're joined now by Heather McDonald. She's a Manhattan Institute senior fellow and author of the book, The War on Cops. Heather, thank you very much for coming back on the show. Thank you, Buck. 
Let's first talk about some stats that are getting a fair amount of uh, news coverage. Uh, well, some statistics that have come out about police and how they feel about their jobs. I've got here USA Today, based on this Pew poll, 72% of cops are reluctant to make stops. 93% of officers polled say they're more concerned about their safety than in the past. The Ferguson effect, which you popularize as a term, seems to be irrefutable as a real phenomenon at this point. Well, it sure is. And uh, the other half of the Ferguson effect is uh, the the rise in crime. It, the Ferguson effect is the combined phenomenon of, of uh, officers backing off of proactive policing under the relentless charge that they're racist to try and enforce the law in minority neighborhoods and the resulting crime increase. Uh, we've also had uh, the Justice Department come out with its preliminary data for the first half of 2016 that shows that the violent crime increase that was confirmed in 2015 is, is ongoing. So we really are facing a watershed moment here unless we can turn this thing around and change the narrative about policing. Uh, we're certainly going to have a lot more black lives being taken because they are now the primary victims of this crime increase, but you could see that violent crime spread across the country. Now, you wrote a piece at ManhattanInstitute.org or Manhattan-Institute.org on the Facebook video, the torture video, and I, I want to get to that, but I first want to just ask you about the broader trends in Chicago. The numbers are staggering for the violence there over the last year, including the increase year over year. What is happening in Chicago? The Ferguson effect, it's, it's the primary example right now. Stops are down 82 percent uh, because cops there are facing such hostility in the streets. I spoke to a, a Chicago cop last June who told me he's never experienced such hatred in his 19 years on the job. He said it's basically an undoable job now. Uh, they're also, until just now, have been working under an absurd agreement where the ACLU uh, would get to review every single stop form that the officers made with their name and uh, badge number, and that had an extreme disinhibiting effect on officers. But it's it's really just the larger narrative that is dominant today. So you have now 3,400 people being shot last year. That's one person every two hours, overwhelmingly black victims. If you believe the Black Lives Matter narrative, since those victims were black, you would think, gee, those Chicago cops must have been pretty busy shooting a lot of people. Well, the Chicago cops last year shot 25 people, virtually all armed or dangerous. That's 0.6% of all shooting victims. So Everything the public thinks it knows about race, crime, and policing from the Black Lives Matter movement is wrong. Now, Heather, I've seen you go up against people on the other side of this issue, on the, on the left, activists, community organizers, Black Lives Matter spokespersons of, of one kind or, or another. What do they offer? When you're in these debates, especially now that we see the numbers, what do they suggest for reform? When, when you point out, look at what's happening in Chicago, look at the Ferguson effect in cities across the country, do they just they offer up what? More, more community policing? Is it vague? Are there any specifics? What do they say? Well, people can see for themselves a, a good example of it. Last night I did a debate uh, on a show called IQ Squared that's now online with uh, two 
people defending the proposition that the, that is the other side was defending the proposition that policing is racially biased and the arguments that they made were quite extraordinary basically uh denying that there's a violent crime problem in the black community and trying to allege that well there's all of these uh white on white drive-by shootings that are somehow going ignored or there's a vast crime problem that is not violent crime that is being ignored and as far as having anything to say to those victims of violent crime you know the three-year-old boy in chicago who was shot on father's day who's now paralyzed for life uh or a 73 year old man who was watering his lawn and was shot in the back by a teen robber when he refused to hand over his wallet there's just there's nothing they say i it's it's just amazing the the denial the refusal to take responsibility for the breakdown of social order in inner city neighborhoods is is just astounding. I want to direct people to your piece uh, on ManhattanInstitute.org, Chicago Video, A Window into a Depraved Culture. I was on Rush Limbaugh's show when the video initially uh, broke, when that became a, a, a news story. It faded very quickly, as I knew it would. I think it was spoken about. It was media coverage of it for about 24 hours, and compare that to things like the Trayvon Martin Martin shooting and, and the way the media covers other things. And I think the bias to everybody is quite clear. But in your piece, Chicago Video Window into a Depraved Culture, I, I just wanted to give you the floor to, to walk us through the argument you make in this in this piece. Well. I think the country is in denial about the cultural breakdown in the inner city, and they're also in denial about the degree of anti-white racism among blacks. This is a very, very taboo topic uh, to bring up. But the reigning conceit that uh, the dominant form of racism today is white racism is ludicrous. I I spend a considerable amount of time in the inner city, and anybody who has, I think, is going to confirm to me with me that there is a a strong undercurrent of anti-white animus. It's not universal. There's plenty of law-abiding inner city residents who are as colorblind as anybody else and and treat everybody equally. Uh, but there is a, nevertheless, historically a strong current there. And even if there weren't, we now, our elites, are putting out in such a unanimous and highly amplified way a narrative of racial victimology that is constantly telling blacks, and it comes out of the academy, it comes out of the media, comes out of the government, that they are the victims of incessant white oppression, that even if there wasn't this existing white hatred, one shouldn't be surprised that it it would come into being, uh, because how else would you expect people to react if they are fed this narrative that America is determined to keep the boot on the back of blacks' necks? The book that you mentioned, and it got a tremendous amount of 
general media praise when it came out. It was on all these lists for being the best. Uh, Tonessi Coates, Between the World and Me, you say what I've heard from others who have read it, but they generally don't say it out loud or they don't want to make too much noise about it, that it has a very destructive message. Absolutely. It's it's just, it's it's a, a, a classic trope of the most delusional racial victimology. He says that it is the very heritage, ongoing heritage of America to destroy the black body. This is somebody who is completely blind to the ubiquitous efforts on the part of every elite institution to do as much for blacks, to promote them, to to admit them, promote them as they can. Uh, and, And Coates is just determined to see himself uh, as a victim and to tell other blacks that they should walk around with a massive chip on their shoulder. And and that attitude, which is catching, uh, and it is supplemented by the universities every single day of the academic year, uh, is an extremely destructive one. It, it, it breeds racial tension and racial hatred, and sometimes, as we saw in this video, racial violence. Heather McDonald is a Manhattan Institute senior fellow, author of The War on Cops, which you can get on Amazon, and I commend to all of you listening. Heather, I just have one more for you. Uh, I grew up here in New York City. I try to tell the audience sometimes what a different place it is now versus what it was in the early 90s when I was a, a young guy, I going around the city and staying out kind of late and seeing the things that I saw. It, it, it was a completely different place. Uh, the violence numbers then versus now, it's, it's like a stock market crash when you graph it. Um, is that possible for Chicago, do you think, under a Trump administration and a Department of Justice that is going to approach these things differently than the eight years of the Obama administration? Could we see and and are you seeing the beginnings of the consensus necessary to turn Chicago around the way violence in New York was turned around? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, Trump himself is, I think, a little misinformed about the scope of government power when it comes to federal government power, when it comes to local policing. He has said uh, over the last several months that he personally, as, as head of the federal government, would turn Chicago around. While I applaud his attention to Chicago, something that has not been at all present uh, in the Obama administration, Trump is wrong that the federal government has any po- real immediate policy tools for changing crime. Crime is overwhelmingly a local matter for local police chiefs to solve. What Trump can do that is more subtle, but, but I think as more important, is to change the narrative about policing and not to uh, constantly repeat this idea that policing is racist and that blacks are being oppressed by the cops. What we're facing today and what, what was brought out in the Pew poll that you referenced in the beginning of the show, Buck, is a real uh, assault on police morale, and they feel like they are not going to be supported if they go into the 
high crime inner city areas and, and try and protect people there. If that can be turned around, then you will see Chicago turn around. So it's a somewhat more attenuated process, but uh, if Trump can speak out clearly on behalf of proactive policing and and let Chicago police know that uh, they are not going to be viewed as a racist by their president if they generate more stop activity in gang-rented areas, that, that will be a, a big uh, plus. Heather McDonald, author of The War on Cops. Thank you very much for joining us, Heather. Appreciate you making the time. Thank you, Buck. Team, we'll be right back. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, team, thank you for being with me today for the show. Tomorrow will be live from the Freedom Hut, of course. And we got a lot of freestyling to do. I got all kinds of crazy stuff planned. You're going to want to check, it, check that out. Join us and, uh, as always, hang out in the Freedom Hut. All the latest and greatest. Um, I think I might get into... This is just interesting to me. It looks like Apple... Uh, maker of my iPhone and, and all that stuff, uh, Apple is getting into the content business, which means that you've got Netflix, you're going to have Apple, Amazon has already stepped into this space. These digital behemoths are going to be content creators and content distributors at the same time. It's going to be changing the game. I wonder at what point this is really going to have uh, ramifications for the cable, uh, for the cable industry. Uh, I wonder... When there'll be that shift. If you ever want to, if you're ever curious, you can go. I think it's a pretty famous chart. You can see that MP3s existed for a while while CDs were still being bought in large numbers. And then I think it was right around 2003, 2004, after MP3s have been around for years. I remember having little crappy MP3 players, they'd break and I'd use them really just at the gym. And then all of a sudden, CDs just stopped. I don't think the transition to cable is going to happen like that. But if these digital platforms keep getting bigger and bigger, I wonder when you're going to see some real movement in that direction. Because i gotta, I got to say, I, I love some of the stuff that Netflix and uh, Stars on Demand and uh, uh, Amazon has done some good stuff. I think Amazon was the first one to do The Last Kingdom, which is a show that I, I really like and I oh no maybe Netflix is doing that one now I can't even keep it I can't even keep it straight or BBC was originally involved idea that I'm having I might do books with Buck some of you have been asking for photos of my bookshelf maybe it would be more fun to do a Facebook live where I'm in front of the bookshelf and I just pull some down that I like and we sort of chat about it a little bit and you can tell me books you like and it might just be a fun thing to mix it up I'm also thinking about doing the the cooking with Buck but it might be history cooking with Buck so we'll talk I'll make eggs, and we'll also talk about, I, I don't know, a famous historical story that involves eggs or something. I'm still formulating some of these ideas in my head. So we will uh, continue to take suggestions and recommendations on that. I love it when I get messages or uh, posts from any of you on Facebook or Twitter 
uh, saying, hey, check this out, try this, this would be a fun thing to do on the show. So you guys are all a part of spicing up the Freedom Hut. Uh, thank you for joining. Please download today's show. Subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud if you haven't already. Subscribing is the best. And until tomorrow, my friends, my extended family, Shields High. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.